Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Well, next up, I'm excited to introduce you to someone who's taught me a whole lot about uh, communication and chatting with folks persuasively. His name is Chris Westfall, and he has an impressive background as the U.S. National Elevator Pitch Champion. His strategies have created multi-million dollar results for entrepreneurial companies on four continents. He's had clients he's worked with up here on Shark Tank, Dragon's Den, and Shark Tank Australia. He's published seven books, including The New Elevator Pitch and Bulletproof Branding. Chris shared so many fun tidbits there so many quotable gems here and so just a couple teasers he offered the critical asset test you should use in terms of how you're going about communicating he discussed a little bit about dialing in sizing appropriately uh, how big of a request uh, that you're making and the key thing you need to prove for others to begin investing in your assumptions so if you want to check out all the stuff uh, referenced here and some visual uh, format of some of the content including the transcript that is at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep5 letter ep number five and here we are chris westfall thanks so much for appearing on the how to be awesome at your job podcast <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, that's so fun. Well, they, they heard the bio, so I'd love to hear from you. Is there kind of what's new and fun and interesting in your life beyond the professional stuff? Well, beyond the professional stuff, my wife just talked me into going on this really crazy diet called the Whole 30. What's that all about? Well, what it is is it's basically a diet to help you to kind of reset your internal systems. And it's it's very similar to like the paleo diet. So you cut out a lot of what I call modern foods, you know, like the processed sugars and things like that. You get away from things that have gluten in it. Uh, you, you, so you cut out grains, you cut out bread. Oh, dear. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, I want to die on this. <laughs> I'm a cookie guy, Pete. I'll tell yum, you right yum. now. I'm a cookie guy. I'm a cookie guy and I'm a chocolate guy. And those things had to go bye-bye, but I survived. And it was, you know, the, the idea is you can do anything for 30 days. And I made some serious adjustments and it's been fantastic. I mean, I really feel great. And when I was looking at it, I was like, man, how, how can I eat like a caveman? I mean, I already think like a caveman, but how can oh. I eat like a caveman? So anyway, making the change and cutting out things like dairy and grains has been, for me, really, really positive. But now, you know, at restaurants, I'm that guy that has oh, the special yeah. order. Yes. Anyways. So you're telling me in your genuine no BS experience. Mm-hmm. That epic sacrifice was worth it for you. The benefits exceeded the costs, and you're, you're glad you did it. It's true. It's true. It's given me more energy. And Pete, really, I mean, you know, we don't need refined sugars. We don't need a lot of these things that we, you know, we can create, and they sure are tasty, but they don't necessarily help us. And um, I don't know. It's, yes, I would say absolutely it's outweighed, and it's helped me to, to really adjust some things in my lifestyle that were out of whack. You know, like you, I travel all the time. Yeah. So I'm living on airplanes, and I'm always changing time zones, and that can can really throw your system out of whack. And this helped me to reset, push the reset button. And I think everybody needs that every now and then. At least I did. So anyway. Well, well, I'm actually potentially persuaded. You know, I've heard of these things before and I've been a little bit skeptical, but I guess maybe 
We should expect that, that you, the U.S. National Elevator Pitch Champion, might be persuasive when you're doing some of those communications. So tell me, I'd love to hear the story. First of all, I didn't even, I was unaware before I met you that uh, such a contest existed. Uh, tell me, wh- what's up with the U.S. National Elevator Pitch Contest? And if you could indulge us, show us, what does a, a national award winning elevator pitch sound like? <laughs> I will do so. Hey, a lot of people say to me, you know, I didn't even know this was a thing or yeah. what, what exactly is this? And I'll, I'll tell you the story, Pete. It all started with a tweet. Mm. And that, that I know that sounds strange. Intriguing. I've got, I've got about 13,000 followers on Twitter. So for me to see Good something word. in my stream is pretty amazing, but I saw something come across and it was a few years back and it said, you know, looking for who has the best elevator pitch. And, you know, there was a link and I clicked through and I found out about this contest where you had to record a video and the video had to be 118 seconds long. So just a couple clicks, less than two minutes where you had to present some sort of persuasive story. And it could be about yourself. It could be about your business. It could be about your goals. It could be about whatever you wanted it to be. And then you had to submit the video and raise votes on social media. So people had to come and watch the video and vote on what people had created. And so I I entered this contest because at the time I was working with graduate students and MBA students on a number of different career-related issues, but one of them being an elevator pitch or an elevator speech, which, by the way, Peter, I probably should say, if you're not familiar with that term or that concept, an elevator pitch is a short, persuasive introduction to a person or a product or an idea. All right. So anyway, went out onto my front porch. It was very glamorous. I turned the camera around and I... 118 <laughs> seconds later, I had my entry and I submitted it and I raised votes. And Pete, I came in second place. There you the go. Petition. Yeah, I, I was actually second place. An entrepreneur in Atlanta won and I wasn't surprised. She was very, very good. But the folks that put together the, the contest reached out to me and they said, Chris, kind of an American Idol thing that we're doing here. Second place in the voting, but first place with us. You're the Ooh. grand prize winner. All right. All right. Nice and work. I was like, wow, you know, all of a sudden this went from, you know, one of those really good experiences that you try for, but it doesn't go your way to this, oh my, wow, <laughs> kind of moment. Cool. And, and that was that was the turning point. That was what launched the books. That was what took me from, you know, the work that I was doing to, you know, Fortune 500 clients and helping people to get on Shark Tank and doing all the different things that I've been doing over the last few years. So it's just been a very, very exciting thing. And people say to me all the time, well, Chris, so what was your elevator pitch about? What did you do? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. And I said, well, here's here's what I did. My elevator pitch was all about how the letters behind your name, right? The MBA, CPA, mm-hmm. CFA, whatever those JD, whatever those designations are, they aren't enough in the current environment trying to move your career forward. Everybody has a CPA. Everybody has an MBA. Everybody has an undergraduate degree. I mean, these calling cards become commonplace. So what my elevator pitch was about was how you have to be able to tell your story beyond just the degrees. In other words, you got to have an elevator pitch. So my elevator pitch was about the need for an elevator pitch. That's so meta. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder they loved it. They're like, yes, that's what we've been saying. (laughs) This guy gets it. So, and and if people are, if you're like, well, I'd like to see it or whatever, I've got a YouTube channel. I've got over 200 videos on my YouTube channel. And Pete, it's coming up on, I'm just a little bit away from a million video views. Oh, cool. Nice work. Yeah. So people can find that on youtube.com forward slash Westfall Online. And you can see the videos there. You can see the championship elevator pitch and and a lot of other things that uh, 
can help people with communication skills and all those kinds of things. So, Oh, fantastic. And thank you for sharing. That is good stuff. And if folks are listening and not able to access that immediately, just hit awesomeaboutyourjob.com. You find the Chris Westfall post and bam, that'll all be linked right there in the show notes. So very cool. So intriguing. So you got some skills here, apparently, when it comes to, to doing the elevator pitching and you, you got some books teaching folks about it. So I just love to hear then tell us, you know, what are some key principles in terms of what makes for an effective elevator pitch or short persuasive tidbit? What, what do folks need to be keeping in mind in order to be effective in making that communication? The big thing that people have to remember is that when somebody comes up to you and says, so tell me a little bit about yourself or tell me, what do you do? Yeah. That is actually a trick question Oh, because what they really mean is tell me a little bit about what you might be able to do for me. Okay. You follow me? So there's, and that's not to say that people are selfish, but we all have our own self-interest at heart. And when people are asking about, you know, who you are and what you do, they're really saying, what is it that you could do for me? And if that resonates with you and you agree with that, that means that you have to make a shift when you deliver a pitch, but even really when you deliver a conversation. I mean, because if you want your conversation to be meaningful, you have to you have to start with the person who's most important, which people don't realize. They think, well, that's me. It's myself. Mm-hmm. No, it's actually the person right in front of you. And what I talk about in the book and I talk about in my seminars and workshops and, and also in some of the videos, if you talk in first person, it feels like you're reading from your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Right? I mean, and which, by the way, think about it, LinkedIn, it's a career graveyard. I hate to say it, but it's true. I mean, a 2000, controversial perspective, do continue. It, well, it is, it is. But think about, I mean, Pete, look, 2011 was a great year, but it ain't here no more. Okay. You know what I mean? And what I was doing then isn't as important as what it is that I'm doing right now. And hopefully people who are listening to this, they're not wondering, gosh, where was Chris in 2009? What was his haircut? What did it look like? Oh. They're not thinking that. They don't care. <laughs> they want to know what can this guy do for me right now? And that is a universal truth, I think, that we all share. So when people say, tell me a little bit about yourself, it's really a question of tell me what you might be able to do for me. And what that means is is that if you talk in first person, it doesn't really spur a conversation until you understand how to make the second person first. And second person is – Yeah, see, second person is you. You. So, so using what I call you language, and that's, that's kind of a skill to, to do that without it, it, you know, so that it doesn't feel forced or inauthentic because if you, you know, look, if you, <laughs> if people feel like you're pitching them, you're dead. <laughs> you're instantly dead. I right? hear you. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't yeah. sound like fun to, to be on the receiving end of, of a pitch unless you, you've asked for it. Like I imagine when I hear the word pitch, I usually think of, okay, the VCs are on the table, venture right. capitalists, they're ready for it. Or the Hollywood producers like, all right, what you got, Chris? Let me hear these ideas. As opposed to just day in, day out, you don't think of a pitch as something that I care to give or receive, frankly. Right, right. Well, nobody, nobody wants to be sold something in this, in this idea. I mean, that's one of the things I talk about in my book is that uh, – and the book's called The New Elevator Pitch. And one of the things that I lay out right from the very beginning is that this new elevator pitch, it's not a pitch at all. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation. And that, that conversation has to focus on your listener. And this idea of having a persuasive conversation at your fingertips – isn't isn't just so that you can go, you know, I, I like the idea of getting, you know, get your script produced or so that you can get VCs to invest in you. Mm-hmm. But it's it's also a conversation if you want to if you want to get a raise, yeah. you know, you have to be able to be persuasive about the value that you create. Even Pete, even if you want to get a date. 
Okay. You know, you okay. have to be able to persuade him or her, you know, because people want to know, why should I go out with you? True. And that's not, <laughs> that's not a sales pitch. Unless I have many excellent attributes. I am kind. Right. <laughs> right. It may surprise you to learn that I'm a Gemini. I enjoy walking. You know, what the hell? It has to be natural. It has to be authentic. And people, sometimes people come to me and they go, oh, Chris, I want to learn how to be a pitch man. I want to learn how to pitch and be, you know, and be someone other than who I am. And I'm like, well, full stop right there. You can't yeah. You have to be more of yourself, not less or not change into something inauthentic because that in this day and age, something falls. How are people going to respond to that? It's, yeah. it's about getting, getting clear about your truth and being able to express that in a way that's, that's real, but that's also, you, you got to be concise because attention spans are short. Oh, now, there's so many nuggets there. Okay, so I hear authentic and real. I hear focused on the other person, making yep. the second person the first person. Very clever. Yes. And, and right now you're talking about concise. Are there, is there any sort of magic numbers associated with attention spans or, or neuroscience on that? Or how concise is concise and how should I think about that? According to the information that I've read, the average attention span of an adult right now is eight seconds. Wait, I'm sorry. What were you saying? I was not paying attention. Clever. Eight seconds. Eight seconds, right. We've got the attention span of a refresh rate. Mm. And the minute our phones go off or something, there are, there are so many distractions. But, I mean, follow this through. You can't, I mean, you can't tell your life story in two minutes. You can't, yeah. uh, let alone eight seconds. And so people think, oh, well, I only have eight seconds. So they, you know, they start talking in these gimmicky little slogans and stuff like that, which mm. that's not the answer either because gimmicky is gimmicky. And, and one of the quotes that I love is from a guy named Edward R. Murrow, who's a famous newsman from the 20th century. And he said, our greatest obligation is not to confuse slogans with solutions. Mm. And I think that so many times, you know, it's not about whipping out some mission statement that people can believe in. Because if you talk like a, you know, like you're trying to create a poster that needs an eagle on it, oh. nobody, nobody wants to hear that. So, uh, yeah. So what's, what's the right amount of time? I mean, you, you really have eight seconds to grab someone's attention. And, and Pete, interestingly enough, compare that to the average attention span of a goldfish, All right. which is nine seconds. Oh, wow. Yeah. And by the way, I know that that's true because I read it on the internet. Okay. That's bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, our attention spans are short and people have to have a story that cuts through the noise. So I'm intrigued. So I guess this eight seconds bit, I mean, maybe you had to get our attention in, in eight seconds, but yeah. you know, clearly we've you know read something for numerous minutes at a time or maybe even been captivated by an hour-long keynote or speech or something. So I, I don't know if, if, if you know the answers to the neuroscience or whatever, but I guess we keep renewing our attention for longer stretches. Is that how that works? Or True, and we do renew our attention. And the key, the, the sort of the, the yardstick that I use is ask yourself if what it is that you're saying would make someone else say, tell me more. Oh, like Greece. Do, do, do. <laughs> Tell me more, tell me more. I like it. Exactly, exactly. You set it to music. That's how you know that you've got a conversation or a hit Broadway show is the case. <laughs> no, I, I digress. But yes, that's how you know that you've got a conversation is that when people say, 
tell me more, they are engaging and re-engaging because that's what, that's what a conversation is. And, and quite frankly, that's what a partnership is, whether it's business or in your life. It's engaging and re-engaging and, and maintaining that interest. And the way that you do that is by introducing to people to things that they have not heard before. Mm-hmm. Things that are innovative, that are counterintuitive, that makes people say, wow, I never, I never thought about it that way. I mean, because if, think about it. If you're going to tell me what I already know about accounting or the legal system or about diversity and inclusion at a Fortune 500 company, I mean, if I already know those things, why would I listen? Why would I say, tell me more? Yeah, absolutely. So, so newness, it's, it's intriguing. And, and that's kind of what gets me to click headlines on sure. the, the Facebook news feed. Like, oh, really? <laughs> Right. Right. And that and, and so many times people don't think about what's intriguing, what's new, what's innovative. They just think about regurgitating what's gone on before. And then all of a sudden it's not a conversation. It feels like a history lesson. It's just it's the exact opposite of what you really want. Oh, man, these are so many good little nuggets here. Thank you. So so maybe maybe you could walk us through an example here. Like, let's imagine that I am in an office workplace environment. I need to get someone's help. Someone, I don't work with them directly, but we collaborate, you know, on some things here and there. And this isn't directly in his or her lane of responsibility. So they might not get a whole lot of you know, credit or attention or whatnot. But nonetheless, uh, I need them to help me out. And I'm, I'm thinking this might feel like a time in which a pitch, if you will, is, sure. is appropriate. Like I, I need to uh, persuasively and succinctly convey a, a case for, hey, help me out with this thing. What are some things to keep in mind in, in this sort of everyday scenario? Well, first of all, you want to start off by thinking about how it might be in their best interest to help you. All right. And, and having a reason why is vital. I read, uh, I read a book that I absolutely love, and it's called Start With Why. All right. I got named Simon Sinek. And uh, right. those are, you, you know Simon Sinek, right? And uh-huh. I'll, if people are listening, they're going, what did you just say? The word is S-I-N-E-K. That's his last name, Simon Sinek. And his book's called Start With Why. And it's all about how people and in, companies and individuals need to get down to their why. Why do you do what you do? I mean, it's one thing to, to go to someone and say, hey, can you help me with this project? Can you help me with something that's maybe outside of your exact lane of responsibility? Well, the first question they're going to ask is, why? Right. And the classic answer to the question, why, is because. <laughs> so think about- Persuasive. Well, and, and it's, it seems so simple, right? We go, of course, that's what you say. But, but so many times we don't necessarily give a reason in a way that's persuasive. And when I say persuasive, I mean simple. The simplest message is the strongest. So All right. you might try something like, let's say that this coworker, let's say his name is Dave. All right. <laughs> So Dave, (laughs) Dave, doesn't it seem like every time people come to you, something that's outside of your responsibility, they they never have a good reason why you should do it. It sure does, Chris. (laughs) It's very upsetting to me. Thank you, Dave. (laughs) Well, it it may surprise you to know that, number one, I am here to ask you for something. But number two, I'm not here to ask you like everyone else because – see what I just did there. Uh, There's the word because. Yes, because – I have an idea of how we might be able to work together on a project and it could help you to get some credit with your boss if you would be willing to spend just a few minutes working with me on getting some additional data that I need for a project that I'm working on. And if you've got a second, I can tell you more about it and I can tell you how we can use this 
to help you to actually gain some traction with your boss and mine if you've got a few minutes. Would you be willing to talk with me about that? Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. And so, then so that, if some control, you go ahead, annotate that for us, if you will. Well, you just, you just hit it. That, that idea of control, the idea of a locus of control, right? That's which is what psychologists say. It simply means you give the person that you're talking to the feeling that they have their hands on the wheel, All right. that they are the one making the decision. And the decision must be in some form or fashion in their best interest, because otherwise, why would they change? And if you go, well, I don't know that I have a real reason why it might be in his, his or her best interest to work with me on this project, then your homework's not done. And my voodoo, right. will not, this voodoo will not help <laughs> you, right? Okay. Because, because if, it's not, if it's not somehow a mutually beneficial agreement, that's, that's a difficult, I, you know, I, I don't know that I have enough magic for that. Because mutually beneficial, I mean, mutually beneficial agreements are what you see on Shark Tank. I mean, when right. Mr. Wonderful invests, it's, he gives you his money because he expects there to be a return and both parties benefit. And it has to be the same thing in, in the workplace, even for something simple like having someone join you on a project, someone stepping outside of their field of responsibility. The other thing that I think that I want to sort of highlight is that so many times – we find ourselves wanting to go into the details and dive into, you know, and let me show you this 47-page slide oh, deck yeah. that I've created about, you know, and people just immediately check out because they're bombarded and they're like, oh, my God, 47 slides. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what have you done? What can you do to make what you need simple, easy to access? And if you go, well, it's not simple. There's 47 slides. Then, again, do your homework. If you want someone to say, tell me more, don't come at them with something that is repulsive, repugnant, overwhelming, too big of an ask. Because if your ask is too great, it doesn't matter how you position the argument. If it's a bridge too far, you'll never get to your destination. Oh, that's there's so much I want to dig into there. So I, I love that point about not jumping into the details. I see that a lot with engineering clients sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they find it fascinating, the data, and they love to rip into the problem, which is really cool and fun. I love that. But sometimes I, I kind of stress this, this lesson about answer first, which I learned from consulting a lot with clients, mm-hmm. which is you just go ahead and say the answer, and then we can dig into the supporting reasons and details later if necessary. Other people might already be on board like, yeah, that sounds good. I dig. Right. I know exactly what you're talking about. I work with a lot of engineering clients myself and the focus on the details because it it is the details that makes the bridge stand, that makes the rocket go into space, Mm -hmm. that makes the train go down the tracks. I mean, I get it. The details are so important, but there's an old quote, the devil is in the details. And some people take that to mean, and that's why we need to get into the details because that's where the the difficult stuff is. And we need to go into, into the deep water so that we can, and I say, Stop, Gunga Den, and exactly what you're saying, Pete. What happens if we start with the answer? What happens if we start with a solution? And, and for many of my clients, they go, well, that feels simplistic. Well, that feels like the details are not there. I'm not saying throw the details out, but just like what you were saying, flip that funnel on its head. Instead of presenting you know, 14 details to prove your point, make your point. Right. And then see who says, tell me more. That way, you never answer a question that no one's asked. That's good. Lovely. So this is fun. I want to talk about Shark Tank for a moment because Mm. I've seen, boy, dozens and dozens of episodes, the majority of of the season or the series, and talking to Mr. Wonderful, I I always just hear him say, oh, you cockroach, there's nothing proprietary about this and I want a royalty on it. Uh, It's kind of how I imagine him. Uh, (laughs) So so tell me, you've worked with a lot of Shark Tank 
groups who are are pitching to to these guys uh, kind of the it's probably the most glorified stage or arena i'd imagine in the world of pitching in terms of just like sheer viewership and and kind of fun stakes for people so what have you learned from engaging with these kinds of clients so many things you know for folks that want to go on shark tank each year shark tank sees about 40,000 applicants oh, wow. for just just over 100 spots actually just over 100 businesses will make it onto the show in mm-hmm. in this season so that means that you have i think i i forget what the math is exactly but it's less than a point zero three percent chance of actually being on the show yeah and what i've learned in my work with different clients is that you have to be able to boil your story down in a way that people can quickly say, I get it, I want it, tell me more. And where people live and die is not the pitch. The pitch is simply what what starts the conversation. And Mm -hmm. there's a construct. You have to say how much you're asking for and is there an equity stake and all that kind of stuff. That's the construct that's set up by the producers. But where people live and die is really in the Q&A. Absolutely. And I, I know that you, you, you work with a lot of folks on, on how to handle themselves in Q&A. And that's, that's really a big focus of, of the work is, is how, do you, how do you make sure that you, you don't get defensive? <laughs> and if, you know, you've seen, I'm sure, folks on Shark Tank and when they get defensive, they die uh, because it oh, creates right. a feeding frenzy. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things, certain landmines that you try to help people to avoid, uh, you know, avoid paying yourself a salary or talking about how difficult it is that, you know, all the things that you've gone through because all the entrepreneurs up on the stage, they all go, yeah, we've been through a lot more than you have right. and shut up and don't be greedy and, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's been just a, a fascinating journey for me. And it, it's actually allowed me to help folks in Canada onto a show called Dragon's Den, which is, which oh, that's is the original, exactly, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I think it, uh, Pete, I'm not exactly sure of the origins, but I think it actually started maybe in, in England, maybe in Great oh, Britain, okay. in the UK. And, um, and Canada kept the name. And then we know it in the States as uh, Shark Tank. And then this past year, this past season uh, on Channel 10 down in Australia, they just introduced Shark Tank Australia. And I uh, was, was very proud to help an entrepreneur, an importer in Australia to help him importing Mexican food, salsas and things like that oh, into Australia. Yeah. They need that. We all need that. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Oh, that's fascinating. So I absolutely. And it seems like you got to know your customer acquisition costs. <laughs> they always ask and people often don't know it. You got to know that. Uh, but it's hard to calculate that sometimes as, as you probably know, running your own business, uh, uh, that, that figure. <laughs> very true. And, and the thing is, is that I don't know that in any investor conversation, what the investors are really looking for when they ask you questions like, what are your acquisition costs? What's your marketing strategy? How much is this distribution expansion going to cost you? And all those kinds of things that people bombard you with. What they're really asking, and this helps people to avoid diving too much into the details, what they're really asking is, what is your thought process? What are your assumptions that form the basis of your answer? And people will invest on your assumptions. If you can prove these four words, the next four words that come out of my mouth, here they are. I've thought this through. Mm-hmm. And if investors and you can get a billionaire like Mark Cuban to look you in the eye and say, yes, you have, and here comes my money, then mission accomplished and bravo. But even for folks that aren't necessarily facing off with the sharks, I mean, we, we still need to persuade others and influence others every day for our career, for the things that matter to us, for our family, for our relationships. Persuasion is a fact of life. And that's really what I enjoy about my work is helping people to, because if you can influence others, you can, you can get some amazing things done. 
Oh, that's powerful. So, so tell me a little bit about maybe some some mistakes people make when it comes to you know, they're trying to be persuasive. I think we talked about some key principles, and I guess just violating, not following those principles, is a mistake. But what are some things you see again and again, and just kind of make you shake your head, like no, no, not like that, like this? Have you ever heard somebody say the facts speak for themselves? I have heard that. Or, or the numbers speak for themselves, or the drawings speak for themselves, the blueprints speak for themselves. Pete, they never do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is why we're talking. All right. Uh, to, to simply say the facts speak for themselves is making the mistake of thinking that data is the same as insight. All right. And if we could simply read things and get where we needed to go, well, 100% of college education would be just read this book. Right. Right. But it's in the discourse. It's in the dialogue. It's in the conversation. It's when people take the time to say, look, I know Google gives you access to everything, but there's one thing you can't Google, and that's my experience. And I can't Google your experience either. And it's that perspective, that unique perspective that'll never show up in a search algorithm. And that's what really makes the difference. And I think it it is either... It's, I don't know, is it laziness? Is it the way that we've been instructed? But to sit there and say, look, the numbers speak for themselves is one of the biggest mistakes that I think people can make. And I really encourage people to be not implicit. In other words, the answers that you need are all there in the, in the balance sheet or on my resume or on my LinkedIn profile. But to be explicit and to say, here is the answer that I can provide for you and be explicit about it and put it in a personal context. It takes courage to do that, but that's when the conversation really gets interesting. And the alternative is, quite frankly, a snore fest. Right. Oh, that's good. That's good. Other mistakes, other mistakes. The numbers speak for themselves, don't say it. Yeah, what are some other it. things people do wrong? I work with a lot of folks that just dive, dive into the details mm-hmm. and they don't understand a, a key point. And I, I did this, I did this myself. I was meeting with a client for the very first time and I meet her and she goes, Chris, I've heard so many good things about you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And I'm All like, right. oh my God, that's a classic setup for an elevator pitch. This is a classic, you know, elevator speech answer. So, so here's what I do. I go, well, uh, uh, thank you for asking. Oh. I'm the U.S. National Elevator Pitch Champion. And, you know, I didn't say, ta-da, <laughs> but it was kind of, you know, it was kind of there subtly. <laughs> and and, and this, this woman, bless her heart, she looks at me and she goes, wow, Chris, that is really great what's an elevator pitch? Oh. And I was like, I was like, whoa, exactly. I mean, I'm like, ah. And, and I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you where like the thing that you're focused on, the thing that you're proud of, you put that card on the table and people go, um, I, got, I got nothing. Oh, that totally happens to me. Well, you know, I was working at Bain and Company. Yeah. Like, yeah, Bain, like, yeah. Mitt Romney, Consulting Magazine's best place to work years in a row. Time Magazine said the elite to the already elite field of management consultants. Oh, I mean nothing to you. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> it, it's tough. I mean, because, and especially when our personal stories mean so much to us, but we're, right. we're busy looking at the world through our own little microscope or porthole, as the case may be, and we don't see the people in front of us. And, and the thing that people don't realize is that you have to have a context for the conversation. And in fact, context trumps content. It doesn't matter what you've achieved. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. If you haven't made a connection where your 
listener, the person right in front of you. And when I say listener, it doesn't necessarily mean someone who's, who you're talking with. It could be someone that's reading your email or receiving mm-hmm. your tweet, for heaven's sake. But it's the person that you're trying to reach. If they don't have a context for the conversation, your accomplishments won't matter. And people, like you were saying, Pete, I mean, people may look, look down their nose at Bain. They may not, they may have a negative, they may have a negative no, perception. No. Is, that, is that fair? Mm. Is that fair? I, I don't know. I don't think so, but it's our job to make sure that they have the right perspective. And shifting perspectives is really the key to being persuasive. And that starts when you create a context for that, that conversation. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Well, I, I would love to chat with you for several hours, but to keep things zippy for, for everyone else, I want to shift gears into the Fast Faves segment here. All righty. And so, and some of these I think you've already said, so feel free to just cite them again. But uh, okay. I want to see if you're ready to strap in and, and knock these out bit by bit. All righty. Can you share with us a favorite quote, something that inspires you again and again? Trust that little voice in your head that says, wouldn't it be interesting if, mm. and then do it. Love it. Could you tell me about a favorite study, like a piece of, of research or an experiment that uh, keeps you thinking or you refer to again and again? The Helen Langer study, Helen Langer was a researcher at Harvard University, did a study years ago into the nature of agreement and compliance. It's something that I talk about in all my live presentations, and it really shows us how to be persuasive. And and the psych- anything that talks about the psychology of agreement is always fascinating to me. So the Langer study is something that, that I reference quite a bit. Oh, that's good. And, and talk about a favorite book. Well, there's a couple. Right now I'm reading a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Oh, Kahneman. Yes. Yeah. Are you a fan of that book as well? I have read some excerpts and it's been on my list for a long time. It's it's fascinating. It's all about sort of decision theory and again, the psychology of how people process information. So I'm fascinated by that. I love I love a book called To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink. Mm. And from a personal development standpoint, there's a book called Somebody Should Have Told Us that is just a terrific book. And uh, I'll find the author's name here in just a second. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to find it. Somebody should have told us a terrific book. And it's, it's really life lessons. I love that. I also love The Alchemist. You know, there's an old classic. Oh, right. Sure. Fabulous. Thank you. How about a favorite website or ideal online resource? Ideal online resource. Let me come back to that one. I mean, the one, the resource that I'm on all the time, Amazon.com, but that's for oh, yeah. stuff in the office. <laughs> Let me come back to that one. Oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you an online resource that I absolutely love and that is vital to my business is a video conferencing service called Zoom. Zoom. And yeah, and you can find them at zoom.us. And they are just, it's a terrific organization, full disclosure. They are a, a former client of mine. However, I don't, get, I don't get anything for saying their name. I say their name because I like them. All right. And they really simplify the process of what I do, which is coach folks, conduct webinars all over the world, you know, that kind of thing. And they make it very, very easy to do, do that kind of stuff. So zoom.us, check it out. Oh, thank you. How about a favorite habit in terms of uh, a personal practice of yours that's really been helpful? When you speak as much as I do, the thing that I have found is that, and it's a little counterintuitive, it is vital for me to clear my head before I go in and talk to a group, do a coaching session, go and deliver a keynote. And for me, finding ways to just decompress 
is vital. I, I'm not a I'm not a big I meditate guy, but from time to time, I try to just get clear and kind of empty out my head a little bit, and and try to quiet that voice inside my head, so that I can share my true voice with others. Mm-hmm. And so that means for me, it's it's things like working out, it's things like uh, making sure that you get out in nature and just just observe beauty and enjoy it, even if it's just something as simple as a sunset or some of the trees around my house where I live, uh, can really make a difference for me. And I hope that doesn't sound too uh, hippy trippy or bizarre or anything like that, but nature helps me to reset. And I could not do what I do without the ability to, to actually empty out my head so that I can let some new ideas in. Oh, no, that's not at all trippy. Thank you. How about any favorite tools, whether that's gadgets or software or hardware or thought frameworks you find using again and again? One of the things that I love to use is I have a tripod with a hookup so that I can record videos easily with my iPhone. And that is that is a tool that I use quite extensively. I also have uh, a lot of video production equipment because producing videos and and recording things and sharing them with clients is an important part of my business. So the favorite tools that I have are related to video production. And uh, I just got a, a microphone for my iPhone so that I can even improve the the audio quality. So that's something that I'm that I'm working with right now. So my favorite tools are related to video production. Oh, that's good. I, I could talk for hours about this, but we'll keep it moving in terms of iPhone recording tools and things. But tell me about maybe a favorite time-saving trick or tactic, something that you've used to to free up more time to focus and get creative. On my website, there's an app that I use that's called VCITA, and that's V like Victor, C-I-T-A. Vcita.com. And if yes. you visit my, my website, which is westfallonline.com, there it is. There's the plug. Uh, but westfallonline.com. And you'll see that little app in the lower right-hand corner. And it's, it's a contact app. Because in my business, what, what I want to do, since I help people with conversations, is create a conversation. And if people are interested in coaching or talking more, I offer a 30-minute session just to find out, you know, what's going on and how I might be able to be of service. It's been an unbelievable asset to my business. And people can actually go in. They can see my calendar online. So it syncs up with my Google Calendar. It knows where I am. You can't see where I am, but you can see that I'm busy. And Uh you can select a time. And that has been probably my number one tool, Pete, for you know, just, just getting people to, to start the dialogue. It's vcita.com. That's a tool that I use often. That's how I said, oh, hey, Chris, I haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, you're free to talk about doing a podcast? <laughs> there it so is. It worked. Magic happening. It's unbelievable. I mean, and people find me from all over the world, from all different, I mean, I watched your video, I heard you speak, and it, it's just fantastic. And I, I recommend it very highly. Beautiful. How about a, maybe a favorite uh, truth bomb that when you say it, people tweet it so that you can see the pins click and they start taking notes? What's a real gem that you find really resonates with folks? Success starts with your story. And when you change your story, you can change your results. Not by creating some fiction, but by understanding a story that is more authentic, more compelling, and more persuasive about yourself and about your goals that's how you move forward in your life. Ooh, thank you. How about a favorite role model, a person that you, you look up to and, and, and take wisdom and inspiration from professionally? Well, I, I enjoy the writing of Daniel Pink very much. I'm also a fan of Jeffrey Hazlett. Jeffrey Hazlett wrote the foreword to uh, my first book, The New Elevator Pitch. He's got a book out called Think Big, Act Bigger, 
which is actually something that he said to me in a conversation, uh, sort of a mentoring conversation, and it's really stuck with me, this idea of think big, act bigger, to try to help create new things for yourself. So those are two folks that I really admire. I also admire a guy by the name of Michael Neal, who is uh, a friend of mine. We actually went to college together, and he is an author and a speaker who uh, talks about, uh, well, it's, it's sort of more in a, in a self-improvement kind of vein, but his, his latest book is sort of a life management book, and it's called The Inside Out Revolution, and he is someone that I really respect. It's, and his last name is Neil, N-E-I-L-L, Michael Neal, good friend of mine. Thank you. And how about a favorite way to find you in terms of people want to learn more about you? It sounds like you got a system. Go to your website and go Vsita. Or what's the best way to just learn from you and get in touch? Well, Pete, I, I hope that people will not get in touch with me because I hate people. Oh. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Best way to find me. I love people and I love working with people. It's my favorite part of the job. I'm just teasing. That was a sarcasm font was what that was. Oh. But yes, the best way to find me is my website, westfallonline.com. You can also find me via all social media channels. Love to have people connect with me via LinkedIn. LinkedIn's an important platform for me. And also, you can, I mean, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me wherever people are online, or at least uh, that's where I try to be. But yeah, that's, that's how people can connect with me. And if you're interested, if, if you know what Pete and I have been talking about, there's people out there listening and they say, man, I might like to talk to this guy about whatever. Well, westfallonline.com and check out that little contact button in the lower right-hand corner and set up a time for us to talk. I'd be happy to chat with you. Oh, that's great. And a favorite a parting thought, challenge, call to action? Keep telling your story. And if there are goals and things that you want for yourself, if you want to validate your investment in your education, if you want to achieve more, be paid more, be recognized for what it is that, that you are doing and what you're going to do, Make sure that you phrase your solution in terms of what you can do for others. And it's that focus on service and serving others that will serve you best. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, Chris, this has been so much fun, uh, a, a real treat in a conversation. Uh, we really appreciate it. And have an awesome rest of the day. Thanks, Pete. So, so great to talk with you. You're one of the good guys. I appreciate oh, you reaching shucks. out. Thank you. So great to talk to you. Thanks, Pete. Bye-bye. So that was Chris Westfall. Hope you had a blast listening to him. I sure did. And again, you could check out the goods at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep5 to see all those cool books and other stuff he referenced there. And look forward to catching you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.